Welcome to the Truth Hurts program with Steve Z. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Truth Hurts program with Steve Z. It is Monday, the 8th day of August, 2022. Unless you've lived your entire life under a rock or alone on a desert island, you have probably felt the heartache, the distress, the pain, the loss of a loved one, a friend, a co-worker, a neighbor, or even a cherished family pet. The initial hurt that you feel, the anguish, the agony is always tough. And as the old adage says, time heals all wounds. I don't necessarily agree with the statement, but there's another adage that says life goes on, and it must. At least for you, it does. The person who passed on, of course, not so much. Sayings that you hear at the funeral of, Oh, I know how you feel. Is there anything I can do? Let me know. They're never quite accurate, as no one can truly know how you feel, and no one can do what you actually need done. Having, of course, the return of that lost friend, relative, loved one. When you watch the news and you hear of someone you don't know dying in a car crash or at some war in some foreign land around the world, or dying from some disease or a heart attack or a gunshot wound, you may feel badly for those people, for their surviving relatives, but you don't feel the sting, the burn, the deep pain of that loss because obviously you didn't know that person. That individual didn't mean anything to you other than the fact that, that there were another human life out there. And of course, as predicted, when it is someone close to you, you feel it quite heavily. At that point in time, when your grief, your pain, your disbelief is at its greatest, it is you who feel it the most, and everyone feels it differently. Of course, in the great pond of life, we can compare the loss of a life to the dropping of a stone in the middle of that pond on a flat, calm day. The initial splash can be compared to the immediate shock of the loss of a person. The deepest, lowest point with the initial response is felt with a rippling effect to follow. As the circle of family and friends of the dearly departed ripples outward, wider, the magnitude and turbulence of that ripple decreases. Obviously, the closest relatives and friends feel the initial dropping of that rock. They feel it the most and the hardest. The farther out from the center of the ripple, the less turbulent. Just like in life, those who aren't as close to the deceased don't feel it as deeply. They don't feel it as violently. I spent some time in my boat this past Sunday, yesterday, the day before the second anniversary of the death of Jonathan, my oldest son. I stopped the boat in the middle of a flat, calm lake, and I sat there for a while, waiting for the lake to resume its complete, calm serenity. No breeze, no waves, just me in a boat in a flat, calm lake. And I did what most people do when reflecting on their impact in the lives of a lost relative or friend. <clears throat> Excuse me. Two years later, the questions of could I have done something to prevent it or should I have done things differently still weigh heavily on my mind and, of course, in my heart. And as I sat there on this flat, calm lake, not a cloud in the sky, 
a hot August summer day. I sat wondering, questioning, looking for some inner peace, looking for answers to questions that I can never answer. I looked down and found a small rock. The floor of the boat must have fallen out of my shoe or off of the bottom of my shoe. And I took that rock and I hurled it off the port side of the boat about 25 feet or so into the flat, calm waters of the lake. It dropped with an audible plop. The outward ripples, large at first, spread farther and farther from the center of the point where the rock dropped into the water. By the time those ripples reached all the way back to my boat, 25 feet or so further from the drop point, the ripples were almost non-existent. They had dissipated. Now, I don't want to get into a whole discussion about amplitude and resistance and waveforms and patterns and surface tensions of the water and all the scientific explanations as to why ripples get less violent as they spread out. But suffice it to say, this is how all humans react to the loss of a loved one. The people nearest the point where the rock hits the water are the people who feel it the most. And as you work outward from immediate family and very close friends, you ripple and reduce the amplitude of the ripple. It spreads out farther to cousins and aunts and uncles and second cousins and neighbors from down the block or employees that happen to work at the same company or perhaps old high school classmates. But I find that it's not only the relative closeness rippling that tends to diminish. All those people who attend the funeral with their condolences and their statements of, if you need anything, just call me. That initial rock drop of sympathy from those individuals also ripples farther and farther away. We don't expect and we should never expect those people to somehow feel obligated to that same level of grief that we're experiencing at that moment. And as our own grief subsides, it subsides at a much different level or the level of grief experienced by those who weren't as close. Even as our own level of grief subsides over time, we notice that similar to that rippling effect coming out from the rock dropping into the flat calm water, our life has to go on. We'll never forget the lost loved one. Of course not. That will never happen unless of course you suffer from dementia, Alzheimer's, some traumatic brain injury. The memory and grief of a lost loved one lives on inside you and everyone experiences it differently. But as they say, life does go on. You cannot expect to spend the rest of your life, the rest of your time, simply sitting at a gravesite, mourning day in and day out. Your departed loved one would certainly not expect you to do that. They would expect you to go on with your life. After all, that is not the only person with whom you've interacted during your lifetime. There's absolutely nothing you can do to bring them back, and they would expect you to go out and be the best you that there is. You have other family members, friends, relationships, employment, hobbies, etc. that have to go on. Sure, it's sad to lose the loved one. It's absolutely horrifying in some instances to lose a loved one. But your life has to go on and you have to make it meaningful. I'm sitting here today reflecting on the two-year anniversary of the death of my eldest son, Jonathan. Most people, thank God, will never have to go through the agony of burying one of their own children. I don't expect any of you to fully grasp and understand the level of grief associated with that. It's not natural, after all. It's not the expected order of things. 
You do expect to bury your grandparents, your father, your mother, and perhaps an older sibling. That is the natural order of things. The very notion of reproduction in the animal kingdom, to which we all belong, is to procreate, to provide the world with your replacements, not bury them. You re provide the world with your replacement, the next generation, the progenitor, the lineage, the continuation of your DNA strand in the continuation of your family tree. I know many people who have strained relationships with their own children. Whether it's a fight about the family business, the farm, a car, selling a piece of property, or it's simply two stubborn individuals who can never see eye to eye on any topic. I know people who have not spoken to their child for years, for decades or even longer, all because of a silly argument or a disagreement about religion or a car or sexual preference or an interracial marriage that someone disagrees with, choosing not to carry on the family business gun rights, or even politics. The story is always the same unless the surviving family member is just a complete asshat. Regret. Regret for things you should have said or should not have said. Things that should have been done or should not have been done. Regret for not doing or saying something. Regret for not forgiving and forgetting. Regret for simply not being there or allowing that deceased person to be in your life. For the anniversaries, the births of grandchildren, family picnics, Christmas dinners, graduations, housewarmings. Regret for decisions made in the name of you needing to be right and pointing out the deceased person needing to be wrong. I had people who actually attended Jonathan's funeral who told me how fortunate I was to have been so heavily involved in his life. After all, we worked together as business partners. He worked for me as an employee. We DJ'd together. We did insurance adjusting around the country together. We did all the things that dads do with their kids. We played games. We had fun. We had great deep conversations. We watched movies. We went to vacations together. All of the things you do with your children from the time they're born to the time they're adults. I do know people who attended John's funeral who said how fortunate I was and how fortunate he was that we were so close. And yet those same people haven't spoken to their own children in years. I remember vividly the last time I saw Jonathan. The family all got together for our almost weekly dinner. It was a Wednesday, I think, it was a Wednesday. He looked happier, healthier than he had for some time. He hugged me tightly at the end of the dinner, getting ready to drive home as we all went our separate ways. He said he loved me. That thought will never leave me. We also spoke on the phone the day before he passed away, talking about DJ equipment and speakers. He told me, hey, Dad, always make sure to look after my brother and sister and my mom and grandmother. I said, how are you feeling? He says, oh, don't worry about me. Like I said, just worry about my sister, my brother, my mom, my grandmother. Pay attention to them. I didn't think about it at that time. I said, I love you, son. And he said, I love you too, pops. Every day and every night, I say prayers to God multiple times throughout the day. I'm not an overly religious person, but I do believe in God. I do believe in salvation. I always ask God, keep an eye on John. Simple rest in peace. 
I do see Jonathan most days and the dragonflies as they fly around without a care in the world. Dragonflies have always been the symbol of that kid. Every night I say my prayers, I ask God to watch out for John, for my dad, my friends, my relatives who have passed on to the next life. And of course I ask God to watch out for my living, remaining, surviving family members and friends. After all, we are truly the ones who need God's blessings, right? Those dearly departed ones are in a safe place in God's loving embrace. Those dearly departed ones don't suffer any longer. No pain, no worries, no afflictions, no addictions, no struggles, no strife, no imperfections. They are truly at peace. Yes, the ripples of loss do diminish over time, but they never truly go away. And unless we use time markers like the calendar to drag ourselves back into deeper periods of inflection, reflection, remembrance, dragging the emotions out of the calmness of our everyday lives once in a while, life goes on. It is natural to grieve the loss of a loved one, and nobody should expect anyone else to grieve in the same manner that you do or I do. The proximity of Jonathan, for example, to me is different than it was to anyone else. Most of my listeners had never had the privilege or the pleasure to have met John. It's truly your loss. He was my eldest son, my business partner, best friend, confidant, employee, fishing buddy, protagonist, antagonist, teacher. But most of all, he was my kid. Today the ripples are more like violent storm surge, but like all ripples, they will spread out. They will subside until the next calendar event comes along. Well, the next life event comes along and makes you wonder, why can't you be here for that, son? The ripple example in today's program is, of course, isolated. Not all ripples are bad ripples. Life is not a single ripple. It's a constant onslaught of ripples, like a major hailstorm in a lake. Good ripples, bad ripples, all circling outward from their individual points of impact, intersecting and intertwining, acting and reacting upon one another, some canceling out the others, some hailstones larger, some smaller, some closer, some farther away. Birth, growth, life, death, not of just one, but of the collective, all of us. Yesterday, sitting there on the flat, calm lake, that one little ripple brought me back to the day two years ago. The largest, deepest, most impactful ripple I've ever experienced. And like all ripples, this one too will either subside or be canceled by a bigger ripple in the future. But for now, I miss you, John. Daddy loves you very much. Rest in peace, my son. This is the Truth Hurts Program. I want to thank you all for indulging me the first 15 minutes of today's Truth Hurts Program. It means a lot to me. Thank you very much. New York Mayor Eric Adams is outraged over the migrant buses arriving from Texas. <laughs> Gee, Mayor Adams, now you know how all of those Texas towns feel as over 1.7 million illegal, criminal, trespassing, law-breaking invaders have crossed into Texas towns since Joe Biden took office. Actually... It's uh, over 2 million. It's just 1.7 million in this calendar year. Eric Adams. Oh, I'm so, so sorry that you're outraged. That's a shame. 
Mayor Adams claims to be mad because the Texas governor is sending illegal trespassing immigrants to New York. And Muriel Bow Wow Bowser, the mayor of Washington, D.C., is pissed off too. Let me just give you some information here that you might appreciate. In June of 2020, U.S. border agents in June of 2020 encountered 40,929 illegal trespassing immigrants. That was half of what they encountered the year before when the Democrats pushed for those migrant caravans. In June of 2019, it was 81,777. Trump got things under control again in June of 2020. But in June of 2021... That number surged to 189,034 individuals, June of 2021. That was just about double the big caravan that was forced to come through thanks to the Democrats back when Trump was president in 2019. Like I said, in 2020, he reduced that to less than 41,000. But under Joe Biden's very first June in office, 189,000 trespassing illegal criminal law-breaking invading aliens but that's okay biden wants to do better so in june of this year june of 2022 that number increased to 207,416. news flash mr biden that is not better i wish there were a way to ship every single solitary one of those illegal trespassing invading law-breaking migrants to New York City, to Washington, D.C., to Detroit, to Chicago, to all of those so-called sanctuary cities that speak a good game and tell everyone, oh, we care about you. They care until you show up. When you show up, they don't care anymore. Texas governor sent another full busload of undocumented migrants now the total going into New York City is over 4,000. Greg Abbott says border states are done shouldering America's immigration crisis. So he's sending them to those so-called sanctuary cities. But New York City's mayor is fighting back at the move. Shelters in New York are already overrun, he said. Well, imagine the shelters in Del Rio, Texas. Laredo. How about... Carlsbad over there in New Mexico. My friends, these Democrats who claim so much to care about illegals, <laughs> they're now getting a taste of Biden's icky medicine. But don't worry, Biden still thinks he's doing a hell of a job. He still thinks he's doing really, really well. ABC News, however, says sour views on economy keep Biden approval on issues down, according to a poll with the midterm elections three months away. That's right. Just three months from now, Americans maintain a very sour view on the state of the economy of Joe Biden. They're pessimistic about its future course with President Joe Biden's approval rating across a range of issues continuing to suffer, according to a new ABC News Ipsos poll. More than two-thirds, 69% of Americans, think the nation's economy under Joe Biden is getting worse. 
the highest that measure has reached since 2008, when it was 82% in an ABC News Washington Post poll. Currently, under Joe Biden, only 12% of Americans think the economy is getting better, and 18% say it's essentially staying the same. Bad. Americans' views of Biden's handling of the economy and its recovery remain overwhelmingly negative. They're unchanged from the same poll back in June, where only 37% of Americans approve of the job the president is doing. 62% disapprove in the latest ABC News poll conducted recently. The president's rating on inflation, his inflation, is even worse. 29% of Americans say they approve of Biden's inflation and 69% disapprove, same as the June numbers. The only area where Biden saw a slight teeny little bit of improvement is on his handling of gasoline prices. 34% claim to approve of the president's handling of gas prices, which have risen every day since he took office until a slight drop this last month. The average cost of a gallon of gasoline dropped slightly in the last 30 days, and Joe Biden and the White House are celebrating it as if they did something about it when they refuse to take the blame for causing it to go up to begin with. The low confidence in Biden's handling of the economy and inflation comes on the heels of Friday's jobs report, according to ABC News, which showed 528,000 jobs were supposedly added in July, and the unemployment rate dropped to 3.5%. But as I've told you before, and if you're too stupid to understand this, I feel really sorry for you and any of your family members or your friends who have to make excuses for your stupidity. Biden's economy has not created any new jobs. We still have almost 11 million unfilled jobs while we have millions of Americans on unemployment. And all that is happening now is the companies that were shut down during the draconian lockdowns created by the Democrats for the overhyped, over-exaggerated shutdowns for the Wuhan, China novel coronavirus pandemic. Those jobs are simply now being rehired. No new jobs were created. Biden didn't just invent some kind of new machine and now they need to put workers in positions to man that new machine. These are simply the recoveries of jobs lost since Biden took office. In a statement released Friday, Joe Biden touted the July jobs report, saying that the administration is, quote, making significant progress for working families, unquote. I guess he forgot to mention the high inflation that has cost people about 10% reductions in their overall incomes. Hmm... When asked how enthusiastic people are about voting in November, the ABC News Ipsos poll found that 75% of Republicans are either very or somewhat enthusiastic about voting, hoping, of course, to oust the Democrats and anyone supporting Biden's leftist, progressive, woke, liberal, economy-destroying agenda. 68% of Democrats say they're enthusiastic. That's amazing. 49% of independents say they're enthusiastic. 
In the ABC News Ipsos poll that was conducted in April and June, Republicans said they were more likely to report that they were very enthusiastic about voting than Democrats. It still holds true today. ABC, though, continuing to support this clown of a president, says that there are glimmers of hope for Democrats when it comes to the potential impact that the abortion debate might have on how voters cast their ballots in November. That poll asked voters which candidate they would support if one favored keeping abortion legal and available and the other candidates supported limiting abortion except to protect the mother's life. Supposedly half of Americans, about 49%, would be more likely to support a candidate who keeps access to murdering unborn babies legal, compared to 27% who said they would be more likely to support a candidate who favors saving human baby lives. 22% of Americans in the polls say abortion will not have an impact on how they would vote, and it shouldn't. For abortion to be that important of an issue to affect who you vote for an election, you would have to tell me that you, when voting, would be directly impacted by not being able to have an abortion yourself. It's ridiculous. It's a silly thing to argue about. Voters in Kansas, a deeply red state, voted to preserve the right to an abortion in the state's constitution, which was a shock the first state-level test since the Supreme Court effectively overturned Roe v. Wade. All I've got to say, my friends, is we've got a sick, twisted administration running our nation into the ground. We have 230 economists right now warning against the Democrats' new spending bill. And Joe Manchin, who was kind of my Democrat hero, thinks that it won't adversely affect inflation. It is a costly, never-ending spending spree, a taxation spree, and these Democrats don't mind raising your taxes as long as they think they can get away with lying to you, telling you your taxes have not gone up. I used this example a few weeks ago, and we're not just talking about income taxes here, my friends. We're talking about taxes in general. If you bought something for $100 last year, that same item would cost you $110 this year. If you're paying 10% tax, that purchase last year cost you $110. This year, that purchase would cost you $110 plus 10% tax or $121 total. A lot of Americans are not intelligent enough to understand. Joe Biden's inflation is, in and of itself, an increase in taxes on every single American who buys anything. The inappropriately named so-called Inflation Reduction Act of 2022 will do nothing of the sort it will perpetuate the same fiscal policy errors that have helped to precipitate our current troubling economic climate. That was what was written in a letter from 230 renowned economists warning against the Democrats' spending bill. Make no bones about it. This bill will do absolutely nothing to reduce Joe Biden's inflation 
It will increase taxes on every single American, despite what they're telling you. I don't care. I've got a little money put away. I can afford it. Unfortunately, some of you cannot. And Democrats want to squeeze every dollar out of your pocket on their wasteful spending. They're bloating the size of the Internal Revenue Service. Instead of hiring 87,000 Border Patrol agents to control the unfettered, unstoppable migration crisis at our southern border, the Biden administration, in this new bill, wants to add 87,000 IRS agents to come after you in case you missed line 34G on your taxes. Or maybe you decided to try and take a babysitter credit for watching Little Junior. The IRS will, make no bones about it, be increasing audits on the middle class. That's you. That's me. They have to. They will have to find a way to justify hiring and training and paying and supporting 87,000 additional IRS agents. That's reality, my friends. That is reality. If you don't believe me, you'll be paying the price in the very near future. My friends, that is all the time I have for this edition of the Truth Hurts program. Go out there and try and make it a great day. Thank you for your support and your prayers. We'll see you next time. I do so sincerely apologize if you are offended, but I retract nothing because what I speak is the truth and sometimes the truth hurts. If you like what you hear, tell a friend. If you don't like what you hear, who cares? Turn it off. Find something else to occupy your feeble mind. This program is copyright 2022. The Truth Hurts program all rights reserved. Opinions expressed are protected free speech under the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. I apologize if you were offended, but I retract nothing. Background music provided by Jason Shaw and Audionautics.